0: morning, Calvary. Uh, our reading this morning is from Luke chapter three, verse 23 and following. So please open your Bibles and read with, read with me. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph, Joseph was the son of Helai. Helai was the son of Mahat. Mahat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Melchi. Melchi was the son of Janai. Janai was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Matthias. Matthias was the son of Amos. Amos was the son of Nahum. Nahum was the son of Esli. Esli was the son of Nagai. So Nagai was the son of Maat. Maat was the son of Matthias. Matthias was the son of Shemen. Shemen was the son of Josèk. Josèk was the son of Joda. Joda was the son of Joanan. Joanan was the son of Resha. Resha was the son of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the son of Shetiel. Sheetiel was the son of Neri. Neri was the son of Melkai. Malchi was the son of Adai. Adai was the son of Kosam. Kosam was the son of Elmadam. Elmadam was the son of Ur. Er was the son of Joshua. Joshua was the son of Eliezer. Eliezer was the son of Joram. Joram was the son of Matat. Matat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Simeon. Simeon was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jonah. Jonam was the son of Eliakim. Eliakim was the son of Me'il. Meliah was the son of Menna. Mena was the son of Mataha. Mataha was the son of Nathan. Nathan was the son of David. David was the son of Jesse. Jesse was the son of Obed. Obed was the son of Boaz. Boaz was the son of Salmon. Salmon was the son of Nashon. Nashon was the son of Aminadab. Aminadab was the son of Admin. Admin was the son of Arnai. Arnai was the son of Hezron. Hezron was the son of Perez. Perez was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Terah. Terah was the son of Nahor. Nahor was the son of Serug. Serug was the son of Reu. Reu was the son of Peleg. Peleg was the son of Eber. Eber was the son of Selah. Selah was the son of Kaina. Cainan was the son of Arphaxad. Arphaxad was the son of Shem. Shem was the son of Noah Noah was the son of Lamech, Lamech was the son of Methuselah, Methuselah was the son of Enoch, Enoch was the son of Jared, Jared was the son of Mahalalel. Mahalalel was the son of Kenan, Kenan was the son of Enosh, Enosh was the son of Seth, Seth was the son of Adam, Adam was the son of God.
1: (laughs) <laughs> oh, huge hand. I didn't even need to ask for a hand for Cameron, but that was incredible. Cameron Willis, thank you for reading the genealogy. Thank you to Austin as well, our ASL interpreter here. I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> if, if he was trying to spell every single one of those names, that could have been challenging. Um, he was. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe you guys should just switch off now, Amber. I don't know if I like, take a break. Oh, wow. Okay, we are in the genealogy. You might be thinking, all right, well, I'm going to do a little quick bathroom break and then exit out the door, uh, and I'll come back next week. But I want to tell you that we are going to have hopefully a little fun and hear some good things in this genealogy of Jesus. I will tell you, you probably look at genealogies and think, oh, yeah, wow, look, that's the part I skip in my Bible reading. Uh, True Confessions... Same, okay? I skip, your pastor skips the genealogies in my devotional Bible reading. And I want to tell you that that's okay. All right, you are absolved of your sins (laughs) when it comes to uh, reading the the genealogies in your devotional Bible reading. Because everything has a certain place. Like all the different kinds of writings in the scripture have a very specific place. Purpose: The genealogies aren't for like your quick, you know, your 15 minutes in the morning necessarily to have a time of prayer and a little uh, devotional Bible reading, a quick, you know, pick me up from the Lord. Uh, (laughs) But but they are very, very important for the purposes of study and for a lot of things that we're going to talk about today. So I want you to hear why uh, we have some of these genealogies in your Bibles. And today, uh, titled this, Son of God and Son of Man. Because we will see a little bit throughout this of how Jesus is both Son of God and Son of Man, titles used for him as we think of him in all of his divinity, that he is God, and all of his humanity, that he actually lived this life as a person like one of us. And uh, we'll also see a little bit where this story is placed in our Bibles and a little bit of why and how that's important, where it came. As you even have your Bibles out, you can kind of just see it came right after the baptism story, and we'll talk a little bit more as we go about that. But this is a family tree. It's about family. It's about the family of Jesus. And we even see that this Son of God, Son of Man, it's about His Father. And right after that baptism story about God the Father, and then we get into here that He was That he was Jesus, as was thought, as some thought, the son of Joseph. That there is this connection to a father and this longing that we all have inside of us for a connection to our father, to our heavenly father, to a good father. We might come from all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences in our life, in our families. We might have families that are fractured and in shambles and even cursed, as we will see in this family line. Yet, we have a good, good father who loves us and cares for us and welcomes us into his family. And so we we all long for that. We long for that. Um, there's this image that will be kind of up here throughout. Uh, a bit of our our day and just you can kind of see a little bit of that genealogy up here and I'll, I'll get into the details of this in a moment but we we see this genealogy of Jesus goes back and we even can see in this image that there's a couple different genealogies and so we'll talk about some of that as well but the whole the whole story or this whole portion I should say I don't know how much of a st- I guess it's a really big 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 story it's a story all the way from the beginning of time into uh, the point of where jesus Jesus is, but it starts off here in 23. It says, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Okay, So when he's revealing himself and sort of going to do all of this work that he's going to do in these three years of public ministry that Jesus has, he was 30 years old. This is kind of an interesting thing when you think about uh, okay, what's going on? Why why is he 30? Even when the next verse says that Jesus is uh, the son of Joseph, but we actually don't have Joseph anymore in the story. Joseph's not in the rest of this story. We, we seem to think that Joseph probably died somewhere. The last time we see him was when Jesus was 12. And then if now he's 30, somewhere in that range, he likely died. Uh, we don't know if he died when Jesus was 13 or when Jesus was 28. But somewhere in there, Joseph died likely. Um, and so Jesus was... Caring for his family, caring for his mom, maybe providing, working the stonemason tecton business that the family had. And so he's doing all of that, and uh, then we arrive at 30. Now, 30, interestingly enough, too, uh, like the prophet Ezekiel began his service. He was called by God to be a prophet at the age of 30. King David assumed the throne at the age of 30, Priests began their service as a priest not until the age of 30. And that's when Jesus then begins as priest prophet, and king, all of the above. Jesus assumes that role and reveals himself, proclaims and preaches his kingdom come and coming, and he steps into that role as priest, prophet, and king at the age of 30. God has a plan, and he is fulfilling his plan. And we see that even throughout all of this text, but even right there in the very first words. So let's learn, though, a little bit more about genealogies. Genealogies, they, they show us that our faith is rooted in history, okay? Genealogies are very helpful when we go to consider, like, the, the validity and the truth of what we believe this, this uh, book of Luke, or even this chapter, Luke 3, if you remember just a few weeks ago, we, we looked at the very beginning of Luke 3, and it starts with a list of some other names. A list of these names of, of leaders in the world, starting with the emperor, all the way down to some local religious leaders, and it's being placed in time. The story is like, here it is, this is a, a real thing that's, that's taking place in a, in a real historical framework. And then this genealogy shows us that even more, right? That it's going even more to show us all the way back to Adam, but showing us all these real life uh, people that were part of this entire story, leading us to Jesus. And genealogies. In the Old Testament, as we're looking at them uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible, they're kind of they're there to communicate some different things for us. Um, they're not just a, a family tree that's just sort of there as like a point of interest, but really they're they're communicating multiple layers. Um, it's part of it was even uh, placing people into a certain group, so it could be a royal line or a priestly line, so you'd know that like your genealogy as a Jewish person traces back to what person that shows what tribe you are. Jesus was back to Judah. He is, you know, we hear lion of the tribe of Judah, right? Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. Uh, Even uh, the priests, okay, so the priests are of the tribe of Levi, so they are the Levites they're the levitical priests the book of leviticus I'm just trying to even bring some of these words that are weird in the bible together so you understand that's what that is it's the tribe of levi and they are they would have to even if they weren't just already known they'd have to show their genealogy to prove that they were allowed to be a priest so it would place them into a certain group all right so genealogies have a purpose not just for Jesus' sake, but for all these different people's sake. And so they would be a historical record, but also maybe a bit of an apologetic proof or to teach some certain forms of theology. But they are all saying something about the object, like the person that it culminates with in this one, Jesus. It's saying something about the object. So what is this one then saying about Jesus? Now, when you... When you look at this one, he's he's linking to a couple things, and on this image you've got some uh, key people that are kind of drawn out with a picture. Especially, you go back to Abraham, right? He's linking him to Abraham is very much on purpose to connect him to the people of Israel. That Jesus is part of these chosen people of Israel, and it goes Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob, Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. He is the one that then all the tribes, his sons, are the tribes of Israel. And it all kind of flows out from there. Now, very intentionally, obviously, it's like we need to connect Jesus to these fathers of the nation of Israel. But something else that he's doing when he connects him, when Luke connects him to Abraham is it connects him to God's blessing upon Abraham in Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, you are blessed by me, but you are blessed to be a blessing to all the nations. And it will be by your your seed, by your descendants, will come blessing for all the nations. And so it's like from that point in Genesis 12 all the way now, here we get to Jesus where he is bringing that ultimate blessing to the entire world, to all the nations. But if you look, there's a lot of names, right? There's a lot of, like, there was a lot of waiting to get to this point of Jesus. They've been waiting a long time, but he's linking him to that. By linking to David, Luke is showing that Jesus is part of that royal line. Okay? He's part of the kings, and that these prophecies of who the Messiah are are fulfilled in Jesus. There's a couple other just sort of fun names on this list. Uh, if you look up sort of to the right, it's in that upper part. You see it in the middle there, a name, Zerubbabel. That's just a fun word, right? First of all, to say, Zerubbabel. Come on, say Zerubbabel if you'd like. Uh, Zerubbabel. It's cool. Uh, uh, you know, any, anybody kind of? Anybody thinking that's like your kid name? You could be really like, you know, like super trendy and just kind of start your own thing. Zerubbabel? No? No? Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got some good shortenings of that, you know. I don't know, Zera or something? I don't know, we'll see. But uh, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was a king in the time of exile in Babylon and then bringing the people back into the, part of bringing the people back into the land of Israel. Just an awesome uh, leader that, that's part of the line of Christ. Uh, You also see some names up there, like, that might even be familiar up in that upper part of Amos or Nahum, uh, Joshua, some other names like that, or Joseph. Like, uh, you you look at Nathan is up there as well. So, some of these names are actually names of books of the Bible that are prophets. Uh, That's not them. Okay, just you know, so you know, uh, <laughs> but those people are named after those prophets, and that's their significant. Okay, so that's these are these are common names, but it's also important to know like who those people are. These prophets weren't part of uh, of that line, but was very influential into that into the, the Jewish people. And then you go way back and you see some like really wild names like Noah and Methuselah, the guy that lived the longest of anyone ever, uh, and then to Seth, and then to Adam. Adam, and it says, Adam, son of God. Adam didn't have an earthly father either, right? Adam was the son of God. And so, interesting as we're going to kind of look into what all of that looks like and means. So, genealogies show that our faith is rooted in history. Genealogies also show us that God is sovereign. God is sovereign, that God has a plan. And God has knowledge of everything that will happen, and God has the power to fulfill that plan. God is sovereign over all. We worship and believe in a God that is powerful and all-knowing and in control over all things. And we see in this that Jesus fulfills all the prophecies. God is sovereign. We see in this that God is orderly um one of these things of the luke the Luke uh, genealogy is that it's all these all the commentators like when you read the commentaries all the commentators are like oh if you look at this there's 77 names and they're grouped in 11 groups of 7 and uh then they just don't say anything about why that matters. <laughs> but uh, what I think is, is that God is sovereign, and God is a God of order and a plan and a structure, and he is putting this in place for us. And God, you can, you can see the design and the work that our God does here. Now... Within this whole thing of God's sovereignty, I also feel like I want us to understand something because you could get a little bit hung up or if you, don't, if you don't study this a little deeper. And that's why sometimes these can be a little bit of a struggle if you just sort of read these devotionally without really um, studying it or, or like really understanding what you're reading. And you can, you can see up here that we have this split in the tree at the point of King David into the Matthew 1 genealogy and then the Luke 3 genealogy. So there's two different genealogies given in these different um, gospels. Now, you could just think like, oh, those names are different, see? That's what you can make like a quick uh, TikTok video. It says, see, the, the names are different. Therefore, the Bible's worthless, right? And then just like, done. And then an entire generation doesn't believe in God anymore. All right, but like we have to be able to not just see things on the surface. You have to be able to look into them a little bit more deeply. And a couple of uh, thoughts that I want you to have so you don't get um, kind of hung up by this too much is to understand like what, what do these scholars say about this? First of all, uh, is most people believe that the Luke genealogy that we're looking at here today is actually the genealogy of Mary, okay? The genealogy of Mary, but the whole patriarchal patriarchal society just still says Joseph in the writing, right? So sorry, ladies, you can get mad at them, don't get mad at me, but that's just like how how things would work. And uh, so that's what most people think, is actually that's the genealogy of Mary. Um, Now, and then the Matthew one is the genealogy of Joseph. Um, Now, the the other thought, this one's like a little headier, okay? The other option is that Matthew gives the descendants of David down the royal line. For example, it's the who was heir to the throne at any given time. But Luke will give the particular line as to which Joseph belonged. Now that's a little confusing, and if you want to talk about that more, we can. But there's just some different, like there's some different theories on this. Okay. Now here's another thing to understand about this: the the council that, that that determined the canon, right? Who's what is the scripture itself? Uh, in the mid 300s, this is not. not as long, obviously, as we are today, away from the time of these events happening, much closer to the time of these events happening. Now, that council is looking at all this stuff and there were certain things where they're like, hey, there's discrepancy. These things don't align, therefore this doesn't belong in the canon of Scripture. Right? And so they would, they, they had this understanding of this is what it is, and it was obviously led by the power of the Holy Spirit as well in the midst of this process. Now, that council, they weren't tripped up by this. They didn't think this was weird or crazy. Like, why? oh, like we have two different like genealogy lines. It's, it's highly likely that they had a greater understanding of what these genealogies were then and why they were different and what they represented. And what I want you to understand about that as well is that there are things that the reader is assumed to know. Okay, In, in, these, like, in these old ancient writings, there were things that are written that the, that the reader at the time was assumed to know. Okay, so like if you're thinking about the epistles, Paul writing a letter to this church in Corinth and, or a church in Ephesus, and he's talking them about all this stuff, and there's all this background of everything happening in that city, in that town, in that place, uh, and what's going on there, that we don't, like, we we don't live. We haven't lived or experienced in our lives, but they're not just knowing about it. They're living and experiencing it, and so he's writing this letter to them, knowing what they know already, and so not saying all of that, right? He's not, like, giving them an entire history on themselves. They know that, and so it's just kind of important for us to recognize there are things the readers assume to know, and I think that's kind of like some of what's going on even with these two different genealogies is that those readers knew what it was. Like this was the one of Mary, this is the one of Joseph, that kind of thing. Um, now it's all a bit complicated, heady stuff, so I don't want to take up too much more time, but I want you to know that there's some like good thought on why these are different. And what this, this whole lineage does though, what I want us to get when we think about the sovereignty of God This lineage does show us that the entire hope of the Old Testament, the entire hope of everything they are waiting for in the Messiah is all found in Jesus. All of this is leading towards Jesus. The the fate of all divinely created human beings is wrapped up in Jesus and in Jesus alone. They're taking us to that point, that God is sovereign. Sovereign. God had a plan leading to this point in Christ. And the other thing I want you to see in here is that there were parts of this line that were in shambles, okay? There were parts of this line that are broken and even cursed. Jeconiah was cursed and, like, wiped off. Like, part of even why some of the, some of the genealogy stuff can get messed up because sometimes Jeconiah's name was, like, wiped off the map, because of how cursed he was for the things he'd done. And so what we need to see is just that a lot of these people's lives are broken or come from sin, or even in Matthew's line you see prostitutes and different, different characters throughout these genealogies, that their lives are in shambles or cursed. And in the midst of that, God was sovereign. God had a plan that he was fulfilling even in them and through them, leading to Jesus. And your lives in this room, many of you might feel like, your lives are in a shambles and maybe even cursed. And I want you to hear that God has a plan. God is sovereign and God is good. And God is working in you, even in the midst of that pain, even in the midst of that suffering, even as we sang in that, that song, Christ be magnified, that like there's just... Often there's this stuff, this junk in our life that we don't see resolved, and we don't know why, we don't know what's going on. But even in the midst of that, we sing Christ be magnified because God is sovereign, and God is working out his plan and his will in all of time and history and humanity, as well as in you specifically. And you might not see all of your hopes and prayers fulfilled in the way that you want in this life, but know that God is renewing all things, that God has a plan that is continuing where he is making all of the broken things whole again. And he's making all of those parts that that are in shambles, he's making that right again. He's healing all of those parts that are hurting. And one day you will be perfect and whole with him in the new heaven and new earth, living again, one, walking with the Father. And so I encourage you to look even to that hope. We, we know we have hope for the here and now today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes all of that doesn't get fulfilled the way we want. And so we look ahead and we know that God will make all things right again. Genealogies help show us that God is sovereign. That even in the midst of some of those broken parts, God is making all things new. Gene, gene, genealogies also show us that God cares about families all families, and God welcomes us into His family, God welcomes all of us into His family. That salvation is available to everyone. Genealogies show us that. That salvation's available to everyone. That we are all part of God's, we are all welcomed into God's family. And it's because part of that is that you see in the genealogy, is this thing goes all the way back to Adam. Okay? All the way back to Adam. It doesn't stop at at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, in that range, if it stopped at Jacob, you're saying, okay, all those who aren't part of the chosen people of Israel are out. If it stopped at uh, Isaac, that would mean Ishmael, his brother, is out. All of the descendants of Ishmael, the entire Muslim world, is out. You know, you don't have an opportunity to be saved and welcomed into God's family. No, it goes all the way back All the way back to Adam, son of God. Because he says, I welcome all of you into my family. I welcome all of you that all have the opportunity to receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your lives. Jesus identifies with all of humanity by his line going all the way back. And that's kind of that's what Luke is trying to show us in the midst of this that Jesus was the son of God and the son of man for all humanity. That Jesus is here for all of us and that he is the way to eternal life. He is it's so cool to think Jesus the son of God then all the way back to Adam, son of God. Right? And so then we all have access to God through Christ. It, it also shows us that God cares about and remembers all these names. You think about all these names that are on this list, on all the other genealogies, on all the other lists in the Bible. God cares about those details, He cares about every single one of those names. God looks up there and sees Jorim, okay? And I'm just like, I don't know who that dude is, right? Like, I don't know who Joda is. I, no, I know nothing about those people, okay? Nothing, but God does. God knows their stories. God cares about them. And God knows your story and cares about you. That even if it feels like you're not known, or it feels like, you know, nobody cares about you, I might not know your name, but God does. And God cares about your story, and these genealogies, I think, give us a glimpse into how God, God cares. And God has a list in the Lamb's book of life where your name is written if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have placed your trust in him, your name is written on a list in the Lamb's book of life. And, then, and that's a beautiful thing. That's an encouraging thing. It's like an assuring thing for me to know that God knows my name and it's written in his Lamb's book of life. And this genealogy, when we think about how how God, God like, cares about families and welcomes us into his family, it's dropped in the middle of, it sort of seems like this genealogy is just like, dropped in the middle of nowhere, right? Like all of a sudden, it makes sense that Matthew's like the very beginning. Okay, let's do this thing. Let's kind of get this out of the way. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, and, you know, but, then, but then Luke just all of a sudden drops this and he drops it right after the baptism story. And it can seem kind of in the middle of nowhere, but you think about like this beautiful moment Where God the Father is looking down upon his son, Jesus, when he is being baptized and he says, this is my son whom I love and he brings me great joy. Or this is my son whom I love in him. I am well pleased. I am pleased with him. He brings me pleasure. I love my kid, right? I love my son. And the father speaking those words to the son. And then the very next part Right after that entire part, it says, Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Uh, Other translations say, Jesus, as some thought, was the son of Joseph. It's kind of a bit of a cheeky little line in there, right? It's like a bit of just like, hey, I know some of you guys think that, but, you know, God the Father, right? And uh, it's like an interesting little point in there. And I think it's, it's doing a couple things. There's a couple things interesting that are happening in the midst of this, of the Father speaking as blessing and joy. And then it's this whole thing of Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. And it reminds us that Jesus isn't merely human, right? Jesus isn't merely human. He is divine. He is God himself. So it reminds us of that. But also that being said... It's, this, it's the line of Joseph, and even the way both are written, it's the line of Joseph that seems to convey upon him to be part of the royal line, right? That, that this is what counts for him as being part of that royal line. And so I even just wanted to give like a word here on adoption, just the entire concept of adoption, that God in his word, says that this is what is official. God values and certifies adoption as full parenthood, as official family, not anything different or less than or other. There's no greater value of blood relation here. God is saying Joseph's line matters in the life of who Jesus is. And so I just thought, I wanted to take a moment to tell you If you are adopted in this room, and you have ever felt anything, any little inkling of feeling like that is less than, or you feel negative about that in some way, or you've just had, I feel like so many people have, maybe they've got the world's most amazing parents that love them, but you just feel that little thing inside every once in a while, of of wondering, is this the same? I want you to hear that God says, that this is the same. God doesn't think that way. God says, this is official, and I certify this, and this grants those royal privileges upon Jesus. And God also then says, I adopt all of you into my family. Therefore, we see even more how God feels about adoption, is that he says to us, I I want to adopt you as my children, and I want to confer upon you an inheritance that is the same as if you were a blood relative. Check out this verse, Ephesians 1.5. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. God decided that. In advance, God made a plan. God is sovereign. God made a plan in advance for you to be adopted into his family. How? He says, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So it's through Jesus we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus That it is through Jesus we are now brought into adoption into God's family. And I love this next part in light of the baptism story that came right before this. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. It gives God great pleasure to adopt you into his family. This is my son whom I love. And in whom I am well pleased. You are my son, God says. You are my daughter, who I love. And in you I am well pleased. It gives me great pleasure for you to be part of my family, God says about you. That's a radical thought. The God of the universe is is receiving pleasure from you being his kid. Isn't that sweet? That's a beautiful, tender love of our Father. Our Father loves you that much. And so that, I love how the baptism story and the story of Joseph, Jesus' adopted dad, right? Just all come together to show us how God's love works. Because our story connects with God's story here as we are adopted by him. That you are a child of God, and He is your perfect Father. And you're part of His line as well. And so I want to ask you do you believe that God is your Father and that He wants to adopt you into His family or has adopted you into His family? If you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, to confess that you believe that Jesus is God, that He died on the cross and rose again. You believe that. He says, you are saved. You will be saved. Romans 10, 9. You have an opportunity today to respond to him about that, to say, yes, Lord, I need you, Jesus. I believe that you are God. I need you to forgive me of my sin. Please save me and welcome me into your family. And you're in. (laughs) You're in. It's the beginning, but you're in. And so I want to encourage you to make that decision today. We'll have some opportunities to respond now. I want you to to really consider how you're going to respond today. We're going to have another opportunity today during this time of worship. You'll have an opportunity to come to the prayer points. I would love to ask leaders in the room to be available at the prayer points. You can have the opportunity to come to the front if you want, to kneel, if that's helpful for you but you can come and pray with someone to receive Christ. You can come to pray with someone uh, at the prayer points to, to ask, like, help me to, to know I have received the love of the Father. Because I think so, so, so many of us, we are operating completely out of obligation and duty. And our obedience, yes, our obedience shows our love to God. It says that. John 15, our obedience shows that we love him. However, we, we do, we obey, we, we actually act in obedient ways after we have received the love of the Father towards us. As you hear God saying to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you, and I'm pleased with you, you bring me joy. And so then we go and we act in dutiful and obedient ways out of that, Right? We don't like we don't do it first to get the love. That's where we get it messed up. And I think that's what we need to repent of today. There's been this message of repentance throughout this get ready series. There's a message of repentance that John the Baptist was bringing this turning away, we're, we're heading towards sin, and we need to turn away from that and towards God. And as we turn, even in our our, our mind, our way of thinking and our way of relating to God, we turn away from like a, a way of just doing for Him out of obligation, and we turn to towards Him, towards His face, and we receive that love from the Father that then allows us to live out our lives in obedience to Him, but out of that love. And I hope that you see the difference. There's a crucial and key difference in how we would live. And if you have been living and acting out of that sole obligation, then I'd ask you to repent of that and turn towards the love of the Father. But maybe you've been living in sin and you need to repent of whatever other sin and turn towards the love of the Father. That's the beauty of our God is, yes, God is a God of judgment and wrath, and he hates sin, but actually, he doesn't just leave you in that. He meets you with the grace of the cross, right? He meets you with the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So he meets you with that in the, in the midst of your sin. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And so we turn to him in the midst of that. And so I just ask you to repent today and turn to the love of the Father Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we repent of our will and we we turn towards his will. May our lives be in full submission to him. So I encourage you today as we have time of prayer for whatever's going on in your life, time to worship, to pray, to respond to our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you and say, Lord Jesus, we need you. Thank you, God, that you are in control, that you have a plan. And even when we don't understand it, or frankly, even when we don't like it, God, I pray that we would, you would help us submit to your plan, to your will and your way in our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, as we sing these songs to you, as we worship you, as we receive prayer, as we share our story with others, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would receive your love afresh and anew. I pray in the name of Jesus for each person here today, Lord, who's been living a life of duty, a life outside of love, God. I pray that the love of the Father would just descend upon each person here today. May your Holy Spirit's power and presence descend upon this room today and upon each heart and soul here and body. Lord, I pray that we would feel embraced by your arms, Heavenly Father. Let us know your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So we welcome you to come to the prayer points to the front on your knees, at your seats, however you respond to God. Respond.